I've just noticed, Richard Foster, that you are 11 followers short of 5,000. Not that it matters, but it would be nice to have a following starts with the five. You live in Kensal Kingdom, which is yeah. Raheem Sterling country. It is, yeah. He, he sort of grew up around Stonebridge Park, which is not very far from where I live. And uh, funny enough, there's a school very close to me here, which will take me a minute to walk to. It's where Cyril Regis went to school. So, you know, oh. there's, there's a hotbed of football around here. Hotbed. Indeed. And um, I know that Wembley Way... Uh, I've been to Wembley many, many times. Dad got a debenture to help fund Wembley and effectively fund the FA. So I enjoyed Uh many, many visits down Wembley Way and they've now got student accommodation and Uh uh, all the new high-rise buildings. The Brent Library is there. The Fan Park is great. They've got the the bit where you can eat. I can't remember what it's called. I wish I could remember. Uh, But had a very good uh, Filipino chicken in there back in right. the, about yeah. six months ago when we could. Uh, is it being gentrified, Wembley? Is it being overly gentrified? Not if you walk down Wembley High Street, it's not. Um, yes. I think around the stadium, they've obviously done that development, as you say. So you've got, what do they call it? The retail design outlet. Or yeah, the outlet, so, yeah. So you, you know, it's quite flashy, it's quite modern. But you walk another, well, I don't know, 500 yards, walk past the the station, uh, walk down Wembley High Street, that is not what you would call mod cons. It's pretty much 1970s, 1980s High Street. It's got a very good Oxfam. Really, really good Oxfam. But, yeah, some of the the buildings are very prosaic, you might say. Um, Yes. But it's, uh, yeah, it is a clash of the old and the new. It is London as it was. And we need more investment to try and get, I know, I know there's gangs in northwest London, and in the last year it must have been incredibly strange because there's zero invasions in the sense that no big event has 80,000 fans at Wembley. Yeah, I mean, it's, must admit, the last time I went to Wembley, I went to watch The Who, mm. which was an experience that um, I won't get back. You know, we've been a year now. It's almost exactly a year. Because, in fact, the last game I saw Johnny Live, well, the last Palace game, was Palace-Watford. Oh, when yeah. we won 1-0. I know. Um, that was March. To, if you'd have said to me then that I wouldn't go to see another live game, I did actually go to see QPR Sheffield Wednesday, but that's a, a different issue. Another live game for 12 months... I'd have said, well, where am I? Are you going to take me to Mars? What's going on? And it just, you do you do get sort of used to it, though. You get accustomed to it. There's so much on television. It's almost, it's like a blur. You know, we, we now have some hope. Cases are going down. The lockdown clearly works. We have, you know, vaccination is going on. And that's looking positive. And, and let's face it. We need to get back to normal, and football is all part of that. And yeah. I think football continuing as was important because it gives something to distract you from the utter boredom of being in your house for this long. We adhere by the rules, don't we? So we don't have any opportunity to go anywhere else. So you need something to distract you whilst whilst you're looking at your sitting wall for the. 430th time. Um, yes, the, the, the one newspaper that I won't mention by name, uh, it's not the female. Uh, they do a lockdown count 
uh, count up. So it's like 351 right. days now. This will go out nearer right. to the playoffs uh, because that is principally yes. what you do because you've written this book, The Agony and the Ecstasy, which is being yeah. updated and I will buy the update for sure. Uh, and you. it is bursting with nuggets, the kind of nuggets you can also read at thefootballmine.com. Uh, there is a stat here saying that Crystal Palace are the only club that has won promotion to the Premier League via the playoffs more than twice. They have, in fact, done it four times. Were you yep. there? Well, that must have been very eerie in 1989. Yes, I was there for the second leg. So in those days, oh, they, didn't have, they didn't have a Wembley. They, they had a two-legged final. So... We lost 3-1 at Blackburn. We were 2-0 down. We then scored a goal with about two minutes to go. We thought, well, great, we're back in it. And then they scored literally after the last minute. Um, but that day, it was really hot. It was June. I remember England were playing Poland at the same time. Uh, and they beat them 3-0 as well. And it was just one of those days which you just get giddy about. And it was just so hot, but so fantastic. And obviously Ian Wright um, got two and Dave Madden scored the penalty. It took us, you know, it wasn't even the Premier League then. It was pre-Premier League day. So we were into the first division. That was when Ian Wright, Mark Wright, you know, Jeff Thomas, we, we reached the FA Cup final. We, we came third. We came third in the first division. Third. Oh, no one really. No one really mentions that. Palace being all-star cast under the management of Steve Coppel, the very, very smart manager. Yes. Yeah, and the, so the playoffs to me—that's where it sort of started, and uh, the, the sort of genesis of the agony and the ecstasy was actually a few years later when we lost to Leicester in the final. Steve Claridge literally shinned it in in the 119th minute, which was close to as devastated as I've ever been because of football. And then the following year, guess what happened? We were playing Sheffield United in the final and and David Hopkin curled one in from about 30 yards and that was the last minute as well, and that won us. So we went from the agony in 96 to the ecstasy in 97. And it obviously took a few years for it to bed through, and then come, and then suddenly I thought, oh, why has no one ever written a history of the playoffs? Uh, and that was, that was way back in about 2005, 2006. So they were already well into their, you know, they were sort of 30 years uh, old by then. I just started building up this sort of vision of what the playoffs meant to people. And and I think the beauty of the playoffs is the fact that it does give the smaller clubs the opportunity to have their day in the sun. I was thinking earlier today, um, the same place I have all my wonderful thoughts, which is with water cascading down my shoulders. It just makes Ah. the competition more exciting because rather than just having two people winning all the spoils and then the rest of the teams kind of fighting relegation. The, the, yeah. What I don't like and what I hate about football is fourth place can still win the Champions League the season after, but that's not the story here. It's that if you, as, who were the team who, was it Swansea last season? The last, pretty much the last kick of the Football League season, Swansea overtook yeah. Nottingham Forest 
And unfortunately, right. in the end, it was Fulham who... Yeah, it was yeah, Fulham. Fulham beat Brentford, yeah. Fulham beat Brentford, yes. Um, Brentford should go up this season, and it's just a matter should of time. Win. And if they don't go up automatically with Norwich, they should, over the games, win the playoff. But, of course, you get extra time, penalties, you get on-the-day uh, luck... And there are some clubs who were who won the playoffs who maybe weren't the most fancied team. And I think of the one who I went in 1999. My first trip to Wembley was with wow. Auntie Susie and Uncle Clive. And I don't remember much about the day. I remember the Twin Towers. I remember Nicky Wright and Alan Smart scoring goals. I remember noise. But I don't think I understood the glory of what the playoffs meant and also the run to the playoffs that Watford had had so I'd like you to humor me and just talk about how brilliant Alec Chamberlain was and how Watford managed to win the playoffs with their great manager who had experience managing football teams at Wembley Stadium well of course yeah and uh, was it Nicky White's goal was a pretty spectacular Mm. goal if I remember correctly he still gets stopped in the street about it today Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, you know, you had a manager with some experience, and we all like managers with experience, um, and even ex-England managers. Um, so, I mean, Watford had a pretty good record in the playoffs, don't they? Because they also went to the Millennium. You yeah. beat Leeds three 0 didn't you? With, yeah. I think Sullivan scoring an own goal, and then I'll, I'll test you out here, Johnny. Uh, you might have read it already, so it might be a question you know the answer to. But do you know how many clubs have actually participated in the playoffs? Fifty. Double it and a bit more. Oh wow! One hundred and four clubs. <gasps> how? You've got to think about some of the clubs who are no longer in the league. Oh, of course, Chester and Hereford. Yeah, and Rushton and Diamonds and wow. all you know Stockport. There are one hundred and four. So Oxford. Uh, for some reason hadn't been in it and that they were obviously in it last year and they lost out to, yeah, Wickham. to Wickham. Mm-hmm. But that's the one, the, the question that whenever I ask and if no one has seen it before, they they usually say 50 at a stretch 60, 104 clubs. Every, every one of those clubs in their playoff experiences has, has suffered or had great joy. And that's the thing about the playoffs, and that's why the Agony Ecstasy works as a title, is because you're swinging between one or the other. Losing a cup final is not a big deal. Losing a cup final feels like an honour, because you've got to the cup final. Losing a playoff final is amongst the most devastating things that can happen. Because it's the narrative. You're that close. You're that close. You know, and you've been through the journey. You've done your 46 league games. You've then got through the semi-finals. You've then got the final, and it's you know it's now at Wembley, uh, and hopefully we'll be with crowds uh, this year, if, if limited crowds anyway. Um, it then gets taken away from you, and it is just horrible. And uh, you know, as I say I've been there. I've fortunately enjoyed the success uh, more often than I've failure, but I don't really ever want to go through failure again because it is really the emptiness is horrible. Well, you should tell oh. Steve Parrish that because you'll need a manager who keep Palace 17th and above. Or if you do go yes. down, have enough money for automatics. I mean, it was it was agonising uh, for Watford to finish second to Bournemouth on the last, basically the last kick of the yeah. 2014-15 season. But it was worse because of what had happened in what's known as the Troy Deeney game against Leicester 
in 2013. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, Crystal Palace won that year. The only one we haven't spoken about is 2004. We beat West Ham at Cardiff. Oh, really? Oh, that, was, that must have been a very good win. West Ham were a good team then. Well, West Ham assumed that they were going to win that because they were you know, still a big team and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and their manager was a guy called Alan Pardew. Yes, that was precisely what I thought. Yeah, who, is, who knows yeah. he's a good manager. Of course. Uh, <laughs> so much so. Um, I will tell you my personal story about the 2004 final. I wasn't there, so I missed the 2004 final because um, there was a wedding uh, with my wife's family and however much I explained in fact no you see when the wedding invite came out I think we it was probably January and we were about 19th and this was the Ian Dowie season and I just thought well that's no problem there because we're never going to get anywhere near it and slowly and steadily we crept up the table and we had this um Extraordinary game at Coventry on the final day of the league season. If we won, we would go into the playoffs. If we drew, we might go in. If we lost, we probably wouldn't. We lost 2-1 at Coventry. However, Wigan lost to West Ham through a very late Brian Dean goal. West Ham were already in the playoffs. So West Ham got us into the playoffs. You know, after this extraordinary run of being almost bottom at Christmas, and you know, so suddenly I end up on the day of the playoff final at a wedding, and it's not only a wedding; it's my daughter's a bridesmaid, and my son was a page boy. So it wasn't even that I could sneak out and sort of go around the back and pretend I was doing something else. So the, the wedding actually kicked off at three, as did the game in Cardiff. By three forty-five, I was tugging my son and saying, we got to go, come on, you must be feeling ill or something. So anyway, ceremony over, I'd already got the agreement with my wife that I would be off as soon as the ceremony was over. So I, and this was in Winchester, this wedding near Winchester, drove off, I'd, I'd found somewhere prior that was going to be showing it. So I screeched into this car park of this, it was like a sports centre and I was running up the stairs and I just said uh, you are showing the football aren't you and the guy just turned around to me and said yeah and we're 1-0 down and I said we're 1-0 down I went in middle of Hampshire huge amount of West Ham fans mm. me running in in my full you know penguin suit because I was at a wedding uh, I had to have a pint of Guinness just to calm down we were 1-0 up and then we did win and I had to go out onto the sort of balcony and let out a primal scream because <laughs> you have to relieve. And then when I came back in, they were all looking at me and going, you're a Palace fan, aren't you? And I went, yeah, sort of. And then I got the hell out of there. <sighs> but uh, yeah, that was that was my 2004 story. We came straight back down, as we used to in those days. It would, you're the ultimate, one of the ultimate yo-yos. And I, it's what I call a Prem B club. You're too good for the second tier and not good enough for the first tier. Fortunately, with that manager there, and also Ray, who plays the bad cop, um, Palace in the last four years are not treading water, but you're kind of steering a pedalo on the murky waters of the top tier. But if you did go down... I, I really, I don't see you going into the playoffs because the strength and the parachute payments and the quality of players you'd hold on to uh, uh, as such that you'd go straight back up. 
Um, the playoffs remain exciting, not just in the elite level well, to get to the Premiership, but Premier League, but to get into League One and League Two. Uh, Do you include the conference playoff because you, you enter the EFL? No, I didn't because, again, that would take another probably 25,000 words mm. um, because you've got to do justice. You can't just, you know, put in the results. You'd have to refer to it. And, you know, there, there are a lot of, you know, great stories coming out of the conference as well. But I just felt, you know, this was literally, it was focused on the football league perhaps. And I did do quite a lot of, you know, interviews with people at the EFL or the football league as it was known then. And you just feel like when you've done a hundred interviews, you think probably that's it, and to then open it up. And I have been asked that a few times before, actually, whether mm. I should include the conference. And you know, maybe someone else should write a book about the conference playoffs because um, I, I, I'm sort of I'm almost playoffed out. Um, I've reread my book. I, I worked out I've reread the book probably fifty times. Mm over the last few years because when you have to revise it you have to obviously go through it again and again and again I've written a few other books since and, uh, uh, you know sometimes Johnny you have to move on in writing sometimes you just have to say right that's it I've done my next revision I'm going to move on so uh, for me I, I would like to open the door to anybody if they wanted to write um, the history of the conference playoffs mm. you can borrow the Agony Ecstasy but you have to ask my permission first. Oh, no, I'm, I will go out and buy this new issue, which comes out in a matter of weeks. Does it have a release date? Uh, we don't have a release date, but it will be certainly by the uh, end of April. Just in time for the playoffs. Well, I'll try and make mm-hmm. sure that this the release of this show coincides. Um, oh, that would be good, yeah. Which would, um, and uh, maybe Watford will be in it. The playoffs this year. I'd, what do you think? Well... Judging by the fact that Swansea and Bournemouth are both horrific cheats, we won't beat either of them and we won't beat Norwich. So we need Preston and Brentford. That is our... You you want to play Brentford, I guarantee you, because they have the worst record. Oh, yeah. So they've got the red and white uh, stripes with black shorts curse. So Brentford have now been in the playoffs nine times and they've never won. So... if you want to draw anybody, draw a team in red and white stripes with black shorts and preferably one called Brentford. I'll I'll go with that. I'll do some praying and I'll I'll tell the ownership that yeah, if, if Brentford yeah. come fifth, we should come fourth and vice versa, third and sixth. Yes, yeah. Has there yeah, yeah. has there ever been an upset in the playoff final? I don't think you can have well, an upset in the playoff final. I think the one that would be close to it was when Doncaster beat Leeds. And you think about Doncaster, you know, they're not uh, a massive club. You know, they're, they're a decent club, but they're not a massive club. And Leeds, let's face it, when I was a young man, Leeds were the club. You know, Don Reedy, Billy Bremner, Johnny Giles, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and obviously they have had their bad times, Leeds, and this was during one of their bad times. Um, but they still, you would expect on most occasions that Leeds would beat Doncaster. But good old Donny came through and they, they won 1-0. And I th- I'm sure James Coppinger was playing because he played nearly every game that 
dogs have ever played in, hasn't he? But mm-hmm. um, I'm just checking. Yeah, it was 2008. So 75,000 people at Wembley. God, that's okay. a busy train or a busy trek down that's the a league one. That's a League One final. It's not, you know, mm. it wasn't championship. So 1 0, Hater. Don't know who Hater is. But uh, he's called Coppinger, was indeed playing. Um, and, that, you know, you just think that is a turn up for the books. And, you know, of those 75,000, you probably anticipate at least two thirds would have been Leeds yeah, fans. And that, again, is another one of the beauties of the playoffs is that when you get a big crowd at Wembley for the playoffs, there are no hangers on. So it's not like the FA Cup final where the Lincolnshire FA get 40 tickets or, you know, corporate people all over the place. The vast majority of people at the Wembley playoff finals are fans. You know, so 80, 90% of those people are devoted to either one team or the other. Whereas you go to an FA Cup final, the actual allocation out of 90,000, you only get just under half going to the clubs. So it's something like 40%. That is, again, another big plus for me is that the playoffs are all about this passion for clubs who don't often get the chance to go to Wembley. Because, again, you know, the FA Cup final is a rotation of Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea. He just, I think in the last 20 years, there have only been two finals which haven't featured those four clubs. Yeah. And it's just very samey. People can't quite remember, you know, obviously Watford had a bit of a rick against Man City the other year. But, um, you know, generally, you know, teams are getting to Wembley through the playoffs who wouldn't dream of getting there otherwise. I mean, I know you've got the Papa John's trophy or whatever it is, but, you know, a big game with a lot riding on it and you're at Wembley, it is fantastic. And, you know, the people like Dion Dublin who scored the first ever Wembley playoff final goal for Cambridge he still says that is the goal he remembers most I mean he scored you know he was a top scorer in the Premier League in 1998 for Coventry he scored for Man United he scored for Celtic he scored for Villa he still says that's his best ever goal you know the one that he remembers more fondly than any other and that, that to me suggests that it's huge not only Amongst the supporters, it's huge amongst the players and also, you know, I've spoken to people involved in running of clubs. So Steve Browett, who was one of the people who took over Palace in 2010 and was alongside Parish, I had a long interview with him and he just said just the most marvellous thing that's ever happened to him is going through the playoffs and winning them. And, you know, that's a businessman. And he, 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 it, it reaches every level for me, the playoffs, and that, that's why. It's, and as you say, it also gives a real point to the season. In fact, Kevin Day, who you mentioned earlier, I interviewed him about the playoffs, and he said, you know, his quote was something like, well, you know, in the old days, by the time you got to Easter, you know, it was all over because you couldn't go up, you couldn't go down, you know, and you just had two months of utter tedious boredom as you just dribbled along whereas now you can still sort of I saw something on a QPR site the other day QPR haven't had a great season but they're still thinking if we put a bit of a run together we could get into the playoffs you know and they're sort of 18th but 
it can happen, and it has happened. So teams have suddenly shot up. Barnsley, Cardiff. Barnsley, Barnsley, a perfect example. You know, 2016 came from nowhere. Bang, they won it. And, and I, I must say, I was at that game. I think I was. I, no, I wasn't at that game. I was, I was at Barnsley against Oxford. It was the Johnson's play. It was the same year, games. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, the and then they did it again. Yeah, yeah. Same goal. Yeah. They, they were um, they were brilliant against Millwall. I mean, they absolutely won. It was only 3-1, but it could have been many more. And it, you see a club like that, and then, you know, you see Wickham last season. Okay, no fans, but Wickham getting into the second tier. I know they're going to probably come straight back down again. But it was fantastic. And AFC Wimbledon, you know, got up and got alongside their nemesis MK Dons by coming through the playoffs. And and there are so many of these great, fantastic stories. And when we think about modern football now, you know, we we don't need to talk about VAR and all the awful things that go on with that. But that has sucked the joy out of football to a certain extent. It has, you know, the point of football is scoring a goal. You score a goal now and you have to wait for it to be approved. You have to, you have this horrible, sick feeling of stomach, oh, it's actually going to be disallowed because of the, the toenail rule, as I call it. The, the passion that is involved in the playoffs, I think, is something that sort of reminds you of what football's about. There are fairy tales out there. Obviously, there are gruesome nightmares as well, but... The fairy tales still live on and the fairy tales are the things that keeps supporting our club because we think, oh, one day this might happen to us. How much is the League One playoff game worth and why do people never say this is the X million pound game? Because it isn't worth very much, really. Um, You know, it's probably... Because it's all about TV rights, basically. So the £180 million final... Is that how much it is now? Fine. It's yeah, I mean something yeah. like that. It, it, it's based on the fact that even if you finish bottom in the Premier League and came straight back down, a you've got your hundred odd million from finishing bottom, but then you've got your as you mentioned earlier the parachute payments, which are you know still quite substantial. I know certain people want to reduce them or get rid of them, but you know there's there's basically that amount of money there's nothing like that leap from league one to the championship because the tv deal is nothing you know i think the last time i looked at it, a championship club would get about five or six million a year from the tv deal whereas if you finish bottom of the premier league you get 110 115 million mm. so it's it's nowhere near the scale have you had you've had kieran Maguire on your I have indeed, yes. The price of football. Yeah, yeah he, he would know that instantly. <laughs> if it's ten million, I'd be quite surprised. Yeah, but it's just it's moving away. The the Premier League is moving off and then there'll be the Uber League and then the Uber yeah. Uber League yeah. and then the Super Uber Uber League. Meanwhile, bloke from St Albans just wants his win bonus so he can put petrol in his car, and that's what I'm more interested in. Unfortunately, kids play these computer games to which they're addicted, yeah. but that's not that's something I hate. I just read this piece about how you kids are spending hundreds of pounds on mystery packs for their FIFA. They should play FIFA 98 yeah. and be done with it. But yes, football at the elite level, the elite, the elite level that Crystal Palace want to be in, is not football, it's business, it's assets. And that is why yeah. I'm more interested in the kind of nuggets you provide at thefootballmine.com. 
and you are still soliciting writers maybe to join this journey. Was this just a place for your nuggets? I mean, they're, they're in the books, the Premier League nuggets and the World Cup nuggets and the agony yeah. and the ecstasy. But do you think people just want the bite-sized, nuggety, Twitter-friendly content, hashtag content? Yeah, I mean, there, there were sort of a couple of reasons for doing, for setting it up. One was because um, I do stuff for The Guardian as well. My editor at The Guardian said, can you just please do your own website as well. I mean, he wasn't saying, you know, instead of, he's saying as well. And, you know, I'm one of these people, I just think, well, is it really, is anyone that interested? Uh, and, but also, when you have my sort of mind, I, I love little facts, I love the nuggets, and, that, you know, they're all churning around in my mind. And again, I just want to get them out of my mind and move them on to the next level. So that's those are the sort of two main reasons behind it. And just... I think people do quite like little snippets. I mean, you know, I'm, I am a subscriber to The Athletic, but I do run out of puff sometimes when I'm on, you know, 10,000 word pieces about Palace's defensive system. There is a place for long read pieces. I get that absolutely right. But there's also a place for the Nuggets. There's well, also is- a place for... Oh, didn't, I didn't know that. You know, I didn't realise that there have been, you know, Everton have now conceded 53 own goals in the Premier League, and that's the most of any team, as they did last night. So, you know, it's just those little quirky things that I think people quite like, and you, then you can move on. I like this stat, which is available at RC Foster on Twitter. Yeah. The Premier League champions in the last, what's that, uh, 20, 28 seasons? 20 of them have either defended it successfully or been runners-up. Two have finished in third place. Fifth, seventh, seventh, tenth, twelfth. So Chelsea were twelfth. Oh, Chelsea were tenth. Oh, Chelsea were tenth. Leicester Leicester were were twelfth. Twelfth, right. Seven, seven and five. Well, Arsenal... No, Arsenal would have been fifth. United were seventh, actually, in the David Moyes season. First first post-Ferguson season, yeah. Think back quite a long time Blackburn. ago. Yeah. So Blackburn was seventh. Seventh. After was... they, they won it. And then, fifth. you're right, Man U was seventh, Chelsea were tenth, Leicester were twelfth. And that's pretty much it outside the you know, the top. And Chelsea were fifth in 1718. Yeah. But it's amazing how consistent, you know, those clubs at the top are. And this was uh, talking about reading The Athletic, and of course, if you want long-form Richard Foster journalism, then subscribe into your email address at thefootballmind.com and you can get an essay every Friday, which is also posted at the blog. Uh, you've written one about yes. Palace's derby habit. What's that? Uh, it was really tempting fate because we were playing Tottenham on Sunday. So the, this is all about the fact that we had this strange propensity to allow people to score extraordinary goals against us. So ever since we came back up uh, in 2013, we've had Kasami, who I would doubt anyone outside a very narrow band of Fulham fans will remember. He was a Swiss international. He scored a ridiculously good goal. He sort of chested it down and volleyed it in. We then had um, Phillips from QPR scoring an extraordinary goal. We had Deli Ali, Giroud scoring a scorpion kick. We've even had Andy Carroll overhead kick spectacularly, and Sebastian Allaire, who before he disappeared off to back to 
Europe scored a ridiculously good goal. And I said, oh, why are we always conceding these ridiculously good goals? And then, of course, we played Tottenham on Sunday and Harry Kane scores a ridiculously good goal. They're all against London clubs. And apart from a few, I mean, Kane and Giroud, the exceptions they're all by people you wouldn't really expect to score those sort of goals so um, yeah it was when I was writing I was thinking you're really asking for trouble here because you're going to get a Tottenham goal out of the blue and there it was but um, you know Fair, fair dues, Harry Kane is a pretty good striker and that was a pretty good goal he does his job well apparently you've got um, three weeks off after the West Brom game because there is no yeah. fixture because you would be playing I guess someone who's in the FA Cup yeah no that's quite nice actually and I, I quite like the sort of when you're a fan it can be a bit relentless and you just sometimes just want oh can I just have a couple of weeks where I'm not worried about what's going to happen because we've got West Brom on Saturday and you know, there's no guarantees there and I'm already started worrying about it it's only Tuesday afternoon I hear their manager's um, very good Oh, so I gather, yeah, no, he's a top man. Um, so, yeah, I think three weeks off, we all need a break, don't we? I always thought when I got a little bit older, I'd maybe get a bit wiser and a little bit more sanguine. No chance. I actually get more upset now than when I was 25. I don't know why it is. It's possibly because I've persuaded my son that he should be a Palace fan. He's now going through mm. the agonies. <laughs> And the ecstasies. Mm. I'm looking forward to the break, quite frankly, Johnny. Quite nice to go in with a win, thinking, okay, that's it. We're pretty much secure in the Premier League and I can relax for four months. But Have you wrapped this edition of the Agony and the Ecstasy? Is it done now? Yes. Yeah, it's off with the proofreader. I mean, it might come back and be ripped apart, but I've, I've, I've done it. Yeah, I've yeah. done my bit. Published by Ockley again? Yeah, Ockley, indeed. Yeah, good, good publisher. Nice books. Yeah, yeah. published Stephen Hills. You, you interviewed Stephen Hills. Yeah, I, I, I edited his book, The Card. That's what he said. Which is yeah. about the uh, Chester, the, the glory year that he followed Chester. He's followed quite a few glory years at Chester, but um, very funny book. Actually, very dry. I would call it dry but funny. Oh, well, I'll have um, it with a curry. And in fact, Steve's chats. Uh, went live a few weeks before yours cause, because he is a member uh, of the Kensal Rise Massive. Yes, yeah, well, there, <laughs> there are lots of us around here. That's yeah. why they're massive. I hope Crystal Palace survive and do well and Roy and Ray sign on for another year, even though I think Ray's over 70. They must both be of pensionable age now. Yeah, no, I think Ray's, I think he's possibly a year or two younger than Roy, but I mean, between them, that's 145 years yeah. or something. So Laura, a lot Laura. of time on this earth. They've gone from... The fact, the fact that dear old Ray, he's still in his shorts in the middle of winter. You know, he's... Unfortunately, he did actually suffer from COVID they quite badly, as did his wife. Um, but uh, he's back now. And, you know, we, we actually missed him because he just barks these... Uh, you know, the other thing about football now, with no crowds, is that you can hear exactly what the coach has said saying and Ray Lewington is a constant you know he must get a sore throat because he's always on the players go on here's go on here's close him close him close him um, <laughs> so I don't know if ever Richie has he appreciates what's going on in his, in his head but um, I went to watch QPR ship on Wednesday 
when there were no crowds allowed. And it's quite an eerie experience being in a stadium where you can hear exactly what the manager says because, you know, on television you get it a bit. It's slightly muted. In the ground you hear the whole thing. And, yeah, Mark Warburton wasn't very happy with his QPR team. They lost 3-0 at home to Sheffield Wednesday, which not many people have done recently. Mm. Uh, And he was really quite angry. Well, I'm sure Sunday League coaches are watching and trying to get some new phrases for when the Sunday League game comes back on Hackney Marshes. Exactly. That'll be a wonderful day when all the pitches on Hackney Marshes are available. I'm sure the Athletic will send someone, I know, Ollie Kay, Danny Taylor, someone yeah. local uh, over to... they probably have a plane going over giving us a, or a drone to give us a oh. nice view. That's what money gets I've, you. I've played quite a few games on Hackney Marshes. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In oh. the old... In, when I was a young man. No, I never have. Um, I'm not much of a football player at all. Although the other day, I did find a stray football, went finders keepers and dribbled it all the way along to the thing I was picking up. Uh, and I walked oh. past my mum's house. So I kicked the football in mum's drive and said, I hope you like the football. Put it in the garden for when I come round next. So nice. maybe because I'm getting the bug because Watford are doing so laughably well. This will be the most undeserving promotion or playoff win but I would recommend that if Watford do end up tumbling into the playoffs uh, to read the new issue, uh, the final revision of The Agony and the Ecstasy by Richard Foster, R.C. Foster on Twitter, several other books. There's The Flaws and Foibles, The A to Z of Football Hate, Premier League Nuggets, World Cup Nuggets uh, and thefootballmine.com. New pieces on Friday. Have you got an idea for your piece for March 12th? I've got. I've decided to, um, to become an expert in own goals. I don't know why it suddenly struck me because we're getting quite close to the thousandth own goal in the Premier League. So um, we're only ten away now, and uh, yeah, I've decided that I'm going to look back on um, not everyone because that's too many, isn't it? But I've, I've just sort of been digging around a little bit and looking at own goals. So I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago for the Football Mind about goalkeepers uh, own goals and I, I'm thinking you know I've got to do a series so there was one next last one, night Ben Godfrey it was God, yeah. Godfrey yeah so that was the 990th Premier League own goal um, so I'm just going to sort of go through all the uh, different types of own goals uh, slowly and gradually not every week but um, I think if I don't have suddenly any inspiration by the end of tonight then the next football mind post on friday will be about end goals oh well danny baker's gaffes would be a good place to yes. go yes as you know yeah he's got yeah he, he almost built a career out of it didn't he yeah see it's amazing how everyone loves danny baker and no one loves yeah. his footballing um his non-football equivalent whom this morning walked off the set in a temper gammon tantrum but this is not. The... I heard. I heard something, but I mean, I didn't. I don't watch breakfast television. Oh, it's all clipped up because. Uh, Good morning, Britain. The most talked about. The most talked about TV breakfast right. show. In the same way that the Daily Mail is the most read tabloid. Make of that. Mm. Make of that. Uh, I'd rather sit and uh, read some of your books, and I'm very grateful that you stopped by the football library. Um, as much as I can say, go on, Team Wilf. I'm, I'm more invested in Roy and Ray uh, because they are the, okay. they're the beating heart of Crystal Palace Football Club. And when you see Pete the Eagle, tell him that Harry's just getting in the zone for the minute. Okay. 
I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful playoff season. Yes. Well, I, unfortunately, I couldn't go. I did try to get to the Wembley finals, but the EFL had very strict mm. limits on who could go. So, if there aren't fans there, um, I hope I might be able to go. But without the fans, what is it? As we all know the quote, without fans, football is nothing, and it is so true. Mm-hmm. Oh, without football fans, it's just a library. Just like a library! Just like a library! Just like a library! Just like a library! Shh!